more time. Lord, as we, uh, as we open our Bibles together this morning, uh, we pray that you would do what you say you will do, which is to speak to us uh, through the Scriptures. And in order to do that, we ask that you would give us ears, first of all, to hear and, and minds to, to comprehend what it is you're saying but most importantly, hearts uh, to receive what it is that you say to us this morning. And we pray that as you do that, as you speak, uh, that our hearts would be changed, that we would in fact leave this place different than when we came in. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, at the beginning of the 18th century, uh, England really was this, this moral quagmire, uh, uh, spiritual cesspool, if you will. Uh, church historians estimate that one out of every four women were prostitutes, many of them as young as eight years old. Uh, thousands died uh, annually from STDs. Uh, Murder and violent crime was at an all-time high, and England was on the verge of a potentially bloody revolution like the one that had happened in France. Uh, Bishop William Blackstone uh, visited every major church in London, and he wrote that he did not hear a single sermon which had more Christianity in it than the writings of Cicero. In most of the sermons he heard, he said it was impossible to tell if the preacher was a follower of Confucius, Muhammad, or Jesus Christ. Uh, Pretty dark um, in the 1700s there in London. But in in, uh, 1738, a young Anglican pastor by the name of John Wesley heard the preaching of George Whitefield and came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and gave his life to Jesus Christ. John Wesley, along with his brother Charles, would become uh, important leaders of a revival that that swept across England and over across the Atlantic into the colonies in America. In England, it was called the Evangelical Revival Revival. In America, it was called the Great Awakening. Some of you have heard of it. Hundreds of thousands of people on both sides of the the Atlantic surrendered their lives to Christ. And that revival was more than uh, just people praying a sinner's prayer and then going on with their lives, maybe adding church attendance to their, their lives. It was much more than that because it called for a radical following of Jesus in the context of a Christian community. Um, the, the, the converts, these new converts from this revival, uh, gathered together in small groups. They had a small group ministry. Uh, and in that small group ministry, they were committed to hold each other accountable to and to pray for one another's holiness. Now, 
Here are some of the questions they asked one another every week when they gathered together. What sin have you committed since our last meeting? What temptations have you met with? How were you delivered from that temptation? What have you thought, said, or done that you think might be sin? Do you have anything you are keeping secret? Anyone want to sign up for that small group ministry? (laughs) Well, that that practice uh, that the Wesleys began uh, was based largely on our anchor text this morning, which is James 5.16, where we read, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Uh, I think confessing sins to one another may be uh, the hardest of all the, the one another commands. Uh, in fact, it's, it's interesting that, that many of the books and commentaries about the one another commands don't deal with it at all, which may say something about our Christian faith today. The the word confess simply means to say what is true. Uh, So when we talk about confessing our sins, we simply mean telling the truth about the ways we have disobeyed God. And as parents, most of us try to teach the importance of this to our kids. Uh, We tell our kids that telling the truth uh, when we do something wrong is really important. I remember... Uh, telling my own kids, if you, if you tell me the truth, even if you did something really bad, the consequences will be less than if you lie to me about it. He's nodding over there. Anyone else give that same talk? Maybe, have you given that same talk to your own? Yeah, right? Trouble is, somewhere along the way, uh, many of us stopped taking our own advice. Uh, we, we don't actively confess when we do something wrong. Um, if you ask non-Christians uh, why they don't want to go to church, the most common answer is because the church is full of... You've all heard it, right? Hypocrites. Well, what's a hypocrite? That word literally refers to an actor, uh, uh, someone that's, that's performing on stage, pretending to be someone or something that they are not. And while that's okay on the stage, um, God doesn't like it uh, among his own people in the church. We know that Jesus had harsh words for the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23. He called them hypocrites who clean the outside of the cup but not the inside. He compared them to whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Now, granted, uh, many times when people say the church is full of hypocrites, I think it's just an excuse to avoid God or avoid going to church. But I think we need to ask ourselves, how often is this true of us? 
How often are we playing a role on the outside that isn't uh, true on the inside? Uh, It's a sobering question. I think most of us would probably agree that confessing uh, our sins to God is a good thing. And, And maybe most of us do that regularly. But here's the thing. James 5.16 says that we're supposed to confess to one another. Now, why is it important to confess our sins to one another? Why is it not enough just to confess to God? I think it's very interesting that uh, every mention of confessing sin in the New Testament involves another person. This is, this is the norm Right? Only confessing to God is not the norm. But the norm in the New Testament is that we confess to one another. Uh, we have that in, in the verse in front of us. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Uh, Acts 19, those who believed came and openly confessed their sins. Uh, Matthew 3 People went out to John the Baptist from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins and being baptized. And then we have this one in 1 John 1. Uh, It's a passage uh, most of you are probably familiar with, and maybe you don't think of it in terms of confessing to one another. John says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So one of the uh, reasons that we confess to one another uh, that, I, that I see here in 1 John is that it creates fellowship. It fosters fellowship. In verse 6, we see that uh, a lack of confession with God breaks fellowship with God. Uh, In verse 7, we see that confessing sins to one another creates fellowship with one another. Uh, Confessing our sins to one another sort of levels the playing field. It it, it takes away this holier-than-thou piety that is so offensive to the world when we pretend to be better than they are, better than we actually are, right? I, uh, I went to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting uh, about 20 years ago. I was there uh, to support a friend of mine who was getting his one-year coin, uh, one year clean and sober. And you know what they say is true. Um, when, the, when the guys introduce themselves, they say something like, Hi, my name is blank, and I'm an alcoholic. And then everyone returns the greeting. What do you think would happen if someone walked into an AA meeting and said, 
hi, my name is blank, and I used to be an alcoholic. Some of you know. Uh, You're not going to get to be a part of that group. Because every alcoholic knows that 99.9% of the time, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. You might be sober. You might be sober for 20 years, but you're one drink away from falling off the wagon. Um, One Christian leader I know says that that it ought to be the same in church. That when we come together, we should greet one another by saying something like, Hi, my name's Dean, and I'm a horrible sinner who's been saved by grace. And if I'm not willing to say that, then I have no business being a part of this group. I become uh, a part of that game of trying to look better than I really am. I'm scrubbing the outside of the cup and leaving the inside of the cup dirty. I become a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, Confession brings sin to light where it is exposed and then covered by the grace of God. Where sin goes unacknowledged, grace remains an untapped, abstract idea that does not touch and transform our hearts. He goes on, confession makes us sinners before one another, breaks us of our self-righteousness, and enables us to become a fellowship of sinners. Thus we become the church that is founded on Christ's righteousness not our own righteousness. I love that phrase he uses. A fellowship of sinners. It's what we are. So confessing sins to one another fosters fellowship with one another. But there's something else it does. And the Bonhoeffer quote points to it. Uh, Confession disables Satan's power over us by bringing our hearts into the light. Uh, Back to to 1 John. 1 John 7 says that we are to walk in the light. Notice John doesn't say we are to live without sin. Live without sin and you'll have fellowship with one another. That's not what John says. In fact, if John did say that, Uh, the rest of the verse wouldn't make sense. If we live without sin, we'll have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That doesn't make sense. How can Jesus' blood cleanse us from something that isn't there, right? And and John goes on and says that if, if we say that we don't have sin, we're lying. So John is talking here about sinful people who walk in the light. What does that mean? It doesn't mean walking completely without sin. Let me ask you this. What does the light do? Uh, it, it reveals things you can't see in the dark. Right? Right? 
And who does it reveal those things to? God? No. God already knows those things are there, right? Yeah. I think what's going on here is that confessing sins to one another breaks the enemy's power over us. You know, uh, Satan is the accuser. That's actually what the word Satan means, the accuser. It's not actually a name. It's a, it's a description of who he is. He's the accuser. He's, we might say it this way, he's the greatest blackmailer that ever was. Some of us have rooms in our hearts that are a mess. Uh, There's stuff in there we don't want anyone to know about. And so we we keep that room locked up, out of sight. We keep the light off. It's it's dark in there. It's, It's piled high with stuff that we're probably ashamed of. Um... It's never cleaned. It's just locked up. And so there's, there's cobwebs in there and there's rats and cockroaches that hang out there living in that filth. And once in a while we might think to ourselves, you know what, I really should, I really should clean that room up. I, I know, I'm going to open that door, I'm going to turn on the light and I'm going to get that room cleaned up. And maybe because we want to do what the Bible says, we think it'd be a good idea to tell a brother or sister about it and get their help in cleaning that room up. And it's at that point, Satan says, whoa there, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't want to do that. And then the accusing starts, right? If they knew what you have in there, You're going to be kicked out of that group. You're never going to be able to serve in that ministry. If they knew, then they would, and then we're really good at filling in the blanks, right? How many of you have heard that voice? I have. He tries it on me all the time. You see, it's shame and fear that keep us from confessing our sins to one another, from walking in the light where we are seen and known as we really are. But when we confess our sins to one another, we are set free from the fear of walking in the light. You see? It's the secret that gives Satan his blackmailing power. Once you confess that secret sin to God and and a brother or sister, Satan's got nothing on you. Think about it. When he starts to accuse you and and say, yeah, but if they don't... Nope. I already told them. You got nothing here, Satan. I already told them. And God's already forgiven it. Nanner, nanner, nanner. (laughs) The chains of shame are broken by the power of the cross as we confess our sins to God and to one another. 
And the focus then is off of my own sin and on God's amazing grace. And I know that many of you have experienced this. I know you have because I've heard your stories. And I think that some of you may still be too afraid to let someone know that you're not perfect. Here's a news flash for you all. We already know that. We already know you're not perfect. Why? Because the Bible says that all of us, every single one of us, have sinned. So let me say it stronger. Don't come in here pretending you're not a sinner. Don't you do that. Don't come in here pretending you got it all together and you're better than the rest of us. And let me say this, there's, there's nothing that you're going to say to any of us that's going to make us go, oh my. I mean, I guess that sin is just too big. Jesus paid for all those other sins, but that one, I'm sorry, friend. I'm not going to say that. Why? Because every sin, past, present, and future, was laid on Jesus at the cross. Can I please get an amen? Amen. Thank you. For some reason, though, even though we know that God has forgiven our sins, even though we've memorized all the verses that say so, we can still be terrified to let a brother or sister know those secret places in our hearts. Sometimes it might be because we've been burned by another brother or sister who has betrayed a confidence, shared a secret, uh, maybe even worse, perpetuated the shaming that that Satan does. And and that's uh, why our text this morning offers a counterweight to confession, something that, that keeps it in balance. And that counterweight is to pray for one another. Look again at James 5.16. We see that the confession of sins to one another goes hand in hand with praying for one another. Praying for one another is that thing that, that keeps it in balance. Now, I know that far too many times praying for someone else is just an excuse to gossip, right? I really think we need to pray for Danny. I heard that, right? Um, sometimes it, we use it just as sort of spiritual-sounding filler when someone has a need. Oh, that's really hard. I'll be praying for that. And too often we don't actually get around to doing that. Sometimes we're just prideful and arrogant in our prayers. Like the Pharisee who prays, God, thank you that I'm not like that person, that sinner. Right? What if? What if we actually became a community that was okay being transparent about our junk because every single time we confessed something, that person we told prayed for us and with us? What if we knew that because we are members of one another, which is what the Bible teaches, 
that person that we're telling is as concerned about my well-being as they are about their own well-being because they know that that would result in our well-being. You see? I wonder if that would change my ability to confess with my brothers. It would help me maybe to trust. I think it, I think it would. Uh, in his book on the one another commands, Jerry Sitzer says that of all the one another commands, confession and prayer pose the greatest risk to ourselves and perhaps the greatest hope for the church to become a loving community. Let me say that again. Confession and prayer pose the greatest risk to ourselves and the greatest hope for us becoming a loving community. It's one of the scariest things we can do, but if we don't do it, we won't ever become the loving community that Jesus wants us to be. So let me ask you, when was the last time you were prayed over? When's the last time you prayed over someone else? Wouldn't it be amazing if on Sunday morning there were clusters and and pairs of people before the service, after the service, being honest with each other, praying for each other? I think that'd be amazing. And, And if we didn't limit our prayers to just asking God to make their life better, that would be great. Because you see, one of the things that fueled that revival in the 1700s was daily prayer for one another to live the Christian life we're called to live. Not give me relief from this thing or that thing, give me more of this thing or that thing that I want, but help this Christian brother or sister to live in the light. I know that because of uh, my role here at the church, I have people who do that every single day for me. Uh, And I'm so grateful for it. Uh, If you're one of those that pray for me and for Becky, please don't stop. But I want that for all of you. I want all of you to know that someone's praying for you to live this Christian life that that you say you want to live. Um, That's what I hope for. So confessing sins to one another creates fellowship with with God and and with each other. Confessing sins to one another uh, breaks Satan's power of of blackmail over us. Uh, And as we pray for one another's holiness... I think we're better equipped to avoid the sin that we had to confess in the first place, right? But there's another benefit to confessing sin that I want us to see uh, from this passage. Uh, Let's look at James 5.16 again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, uh, This verse has uh, been used to do a lot of damage. 
Uh, so I want to be really careful uh, and really clear about what the Bible says and doesn't say. Uh, first of all, Jesus himself teaches that not all sickness is a result of sin. So let's be clear about that. However, there are cases where sin does cause sickness. Uh, in John 5, Jesus tells a paralyzed man that he had healed, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Hmm. 1 Corinthians 11, where uh, Paul is addressing sinful behavior in their worship gatherings, particularly uh, focused on communion, he says that this sin is why many of them are sick and some have even died from continuing in that sin. Uh, In Psalm 32 that Lucas read for us earlier, David said that his body was wasting away because he refused to confess his sin. Uh, We think Psalm 32 is written in response to David's sin of lust, which led to adultery, which led to an unwanted pregnancy, which led to murder. And David says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me and my strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. See, David's refusal to confess his sin had a physical and emotional impact on him. His body was wasting away. He was emotionally sick, groaning, All day long, his strength was sapped simply because of unconfessed sin. Modern science actually supports this truth. Uh, David Eagleman is a uh, neuroscientist uh, who has studied and written about the physical and emotional effects of keeping secrets. He says this, Keeping certain behaviors secret, especially behaviors that are seen and understood to be wrong, sin, causes increased levels of stress hormones in your bloodstream as a result of the struggle to keep your secret. When our brains are marinated in stress hormones due to keeping the secret, it causes an impairment in our ability to stay healthy and function well. James... Pennebaker uh, is also a neuroscientist at the University of Texas in Austin. Um, And he used uh, blood tests and EEG measurements to look at what physically happens to people who confessed a secret sin. And he found that when secrets were confessed to another person, there were tangible health benefits, both physical and mental. The research found it not only improved relationships in regards to depth and intimacy, but led to better sleep and an improved immune system. Kind of cool when modern science uh, discovers something that the Bible knew for thousands of years, right? I think. Again, not all sickness is a result of unconfessed sin, but unconfessed sin can make you sick. How do you tell which is which? Really, the only way I know of is to make sure that you are keeping short accounts with God and with others, living in the light with one another, having a a circle 
of trusted friends who have permission to ask you the tough questions regarding your heart. Uh, When someone comes and asks for prayer about healing, usually I will ask the question, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Is it possible that this is due to that? Ooh, that's a tough question. I'll probably see fewer of you coming asking for healing prayer, but but I think we have to ask that. As I close, let let me just reiterate why this neglected practice of confessing sins to one another is so important. First of all, confession and prayer restores fellowship with God and with one another as we become a fellowship of sinners who are saved by grace. Wonderful, wonderful benefit of confessing sin. Confession and prayer breaks Satan's power over us as we walk in the light and pray for one another to stay in the light. And then thirdly, confession and prayer has physical health benefits as we see in John 5, 1 Corinthians 11, Psalm 32, James 5, 16. We all need trusted friends with whom we can bear our souls. We all need trusted friends uh, with whom we, we give the keys to those normally locked rooms, secret rooms of our hearts. Trusted friends who will say, how's your soul today? And then pray for us as we turn from that sin and find health and wholeness in God. Some of you have that person or persons. Uh, And my challenge to you this morning would be to keep walking in the light with that person. Don't let any secret sin take up residence in your heart or, or get a foothold or even an established root in your life. Um, some of you don't have that person. And you, you desperately need that kind of person in your life. And so my challenge to you would be to find a person uh, that you can be vulnerable with and, and walk in the light with. Let's not be a church full of hypocrites like they think we are. actors pretending to be somebody we're not. Let's walk in the light together, huh? In fellowship with one another, praying for one another every day. Let's pray. God, first of all, we are uh, grateful for the cross. Uh, So grateful that you have made a way for us to be washed clean from our sin. But we've also seen this morning that you have placed us in a community of believers to help us to walk in the light. So we ask that you would help us to live transparently with one another, creating fellowship, and remind us to pray for one another to live well this life that you have called us to. We pray this believing that it is Uh, in your perfect will, your desire for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.